from uh, chapter 7 in Luke, and Jesus has just um, raised to life the son of a, a widow, <clears throat> and everybody's talking about it. So John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men, men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go, go back and report to John that what you have seen and heard, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. After John messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed in the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what? did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of me who will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledge that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. To what then can I compare the people of this generation. What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say, well he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking and you say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Brilliant. Thank you, Paul. It's good to hear the word of God read out to us. Well, before Miriam, Miriam speaks to us, let me, let me pray for her. Lord, thank you so much for Miriam. Thank you for the, the words you've given her, for the message you've given her. Thank you that you will speak to us. And Lord, we pray for, for energy for her now. Lord, we, and we, yeah, just Holy Spirit, come and speak through her to us. 
Take her words and speak them into our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this week, we're, we're furthering our series on evangelism and how Jesus uh, met with people, how, what his encounters with people were. And uh, it's following on from Matt talking last week about the demoniac. And this week, we're looking at John the Baptist. Now, you may think, why looking at John the Baptist? We all know who John the Baptist was. But as you see from our reading, he seemed to be riddled with doubt. And was Jesus really the one that we were, he was looking for? And we don't know how long Jesus, uh, how long John the Baptist had been in prison. And prison wasn't like some prisons we find in the UK today. Prison was a pretty awful place. And we don't know whether it was just his mental state. Maybe he was depressed. I think I would have been. Um, he, there was a lot of uncertainty. How long had he been there? When was he going to be released? Was he going to be released? Was he going to be killed? We don't know. He, we don't know what was going on in him. And there was a, obviously a lot of uncertainty about his future. But if we look back at uh, John the Baptist and his heritage, you know, in Luke 1.44, it says, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, said, as soon as the sound of your greeting, that was Mary, um, as she'd just um, uh, been told that she was have to have Jesus, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. So right from the start, in his spirit, he recognized who Jesus was. And later on, when we see John baptizing in the wilderness, when he sees Jesus come to him, he says, this is the Son of God. So there's not a shadow of a doubt that John knew who Jesus was. But in his time of doubt, he did the right thing because he went to Jesus. And I wonder whether some of us, some of you are experiencing doubt or real questions about your faith or what, where does God, what part does God play in this troubled world at the moment? Or do you know friends or colleagues who are in this place at this time? We need to come to Jesus. We need to look to him. You know, I was always told as a child that Jesus is always the answer. And I remember hearing a story of, um, in a Sunday school, they were, uh, children were asked, what's grey and has a big furry tail and eats nuts? And the little boy put up his hand, I know the answer ought to be Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> but I've come to see that the answer is always Jesus. Even this week, yesterday, in the, yesterday's paper, it says how to make sense of an earthquake if God exists. And at the end of the article, it says, our grief and anger at natural disasters are not a pointer away from God, but towards him. But more than that, in the person of Jesus, God is someone to whom we can take our grief and trauma. He's all too acquainted with sorrow and grief, yet somehow is able to carry ours as well as make a way through. 
even if our worst nightmares come true. Where is God in a natural disaster? He's right in the midst of the mess. That was good to read that uh, yesterday. So in, Jesus, in John the Baptist's time of doubt, he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? I've got this wonderful book uh, by Ruth Chu Simons about um, Emmanuel, about Advent. And in it she says, expectations leave us weary and discontent. Believe, believing we deserve more or better. They always leave us unfulfilled and doubtful about whether God is for our good. But expectancy, so that's expectation, but expectancy is anticipation mingled with joy. It's believing God is who he says he is while waiting patiently for his good to be revealed. However, he chooses to reveal it. I think that's beautiful. Expectancy remembers what is already more than we deserve, but expectation demands more. I found that very, very helpful. All of us have had what we might call unanswered prayer. Um, I don't think it is unanswered prayer because God always hears, but... Um, we've expected God to do what hasn't happened. Um, for example, someone has died prematurely um, when we prayed and believed that they would be healed. Or we've asked God to intervene in a situation which has been very difficult and it seemed we didn't get the answer we expected. And there, have been many, there are many people who have come to faith in Jesus and then doubts have crept in due to unfulfilled expectations of either the church or other Christians or even of God himself. Just read this book called When Faith Gets Shaken by Patrick Regan. And he says something very interesting. Moody Bible College president Joseph Stowell tells the story of the night he met Billy Graham, the renowned evangelist who's seen thousands upon thousands come to faith. They'd been at a dinner together, and after the meal, Stowell managed to ask the question he'd been longing to ask all evening. Of all your experiences in ministry, he said, what have you enjoyed the most? He wondered aloud if it would be time spent with presidents and heads of state, but Graham quickly pushed his suggestion aside and said, by far the greatest joy of my life has been fellowship with Jesus. Hearing him speak to me, having him guide me, sensing his presence with me and his power through me. This has been the highest pleasure of my life. The response was unscripted, unrehearsed and clearly from the heart. Graham didn't even have to pause to look back over the then 80 years of his life to draw that conclusion. His relationship with Jesus beat everything else hands down. In contrast, however, Author Lee Strobel tells of meeting one of Billy Graham's friends, Chuck Templeton, who was himself a well-known evangelist and who ministered alongside Graham in setting up Youth for Christ Canada. Having brought many to faith, Templeton eventually denounced that faith and wrote a book called Farewell to God, 
a book outlining why he had shunned his previous beliefs. Strobel said that Templeton, who was then 83 and in declining health, just couldn't reconcile a God who said he was love with the horrendous amount of suffering he permitted in the world. He stood by his decision to turn his back on the Christian faith. But when Strobel asked how he felt about Jesus, Templeton, he said, visibly softened and spoke of Jesus in adoring tones. He said, in my view, he is the most important human being who's ever existed. His voice cracked and he added haltingly, I miss him before he began to weep. What was Jesus' response to John the Baptist? He didn't berate him or reprimand him or scold him for his lack of faith. He could have gone to the prison and reassured him. I've been thinking, why didn't he do that? He could have looked through the bars. John, it is, I am Jesus, I am the one. He also could have set him free, couldn't he? You know, perhaps John remembered those words um, that uh, the Spirit of God is upon me to set the prisoner free. Why didn't he? He was not very far away in terms of miles, really. But what did he do? He told Jesus' disciples to go back to John and report all that they'd seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me or who is not offended by me. Jesus pointed them to himself, to what he'd been doing. This may not have been the picture of what they'd expected of the Messiah to be. But when they saw Jesus, they saw someone who was motivated by compassion, who had a far greater picture than they had, who came, and to, to, came to seek and to save the lost and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of our sons went through a time of doubt and he, went to, he wrote an email to his dad and John picked up the phone and said, what's the matter, son? And, and the son said, I thought you wouldn't speak to me. I thought you'd reject me. And John said, I wouldn't reject you. You're my son. And then John pointed him to Jesus. He said, don't look at Christianity. Don't look at the church. Don't look at anything else. Look at Jesus. Don't let's think we can convince people by clever arguments. We just need to point them to Jesus, as he said with John the Baptist, and pray. It doesn't happen overnight, but it may take years, but God is faithful and wants men and women to come to know the truth. Our personal testimony is really important, and people can't refute what has happened in our own lives. And we're now going to hear from Mercy, who's going to give a testimony herself. Thank you. Um, 
So this testimony um, is about a young lady I met here at City Church a few years ago. So I wrote the testimony down. I'm going to read it to you. A few years ago, I met a young lady who came to City Church for the first time. I welcomed her as she came in and went to chat with her after the service. I found out she had come to City Church as her mother had found City Church details online and had passed them on to her. She told me she was not a Christian and had just came to visit. We exchanged numbers as she was new to Cambridge and I offered to show her around the city. We started meeting up on weekday evenings after work. She had been to a church in the past, but had not understood enough about Jesus. She had been given a Bible and knew she had to change, but was unwilling to change her lifestyle. When she moved to Cambridge, she had intended on living as she wanted, but something held her back, and on reflection, she feels that was God. She shared with me also how she saw Christians then. She had lots of questions about life and where was God in the midst of a suffering world. From there on, we would exchange text messages to check on each other. We started meeting regularly at McDonald's where, we would ask, uh, where she would ask me lots of questions. And I would ask the Holy Spirit to help me to answer them. Then we started to read the Bible together and pray on these occasions. We became firm friends. I felt compassion for her. I really wanted the Holy Spirit to help me to point her to Jesus. I wanted her to receive the love of Jesus that was available for her. Hearing her story, there was a lot of brokenness and loneliness for which I knew Jesus was the answer. We kept meeting up for weeks. I tried to answer her questions, and if I could not, I would search from others uh, the answers and get back to her. She was so keen to find answers that would make sense to her. She needed to know who Jesus was and what he had done for her. I knew I needed to show her the truth. We opened scripture at the end of the meetings. As weeks went on, I started encouraging her to pray uh, for God to break certain things from her past. She was willing to start to learn to pray. I cannot tell you how long, after several months of us consistently meeting, the Holy Spirit supernaturally changed her heart and she went on to give her life to Christ. It is so incredible to see how she's serving the Lord and she has a family of her own and God is doing amazing things through her. I asked her recently how she felt when we met. She said I was so welcoming, warm, took her under my wing, gave her time and friendship that made a big difference to her. She also described she was lonely and needed a friend. She said I did that for her and it made a big difference. Gradually, God worked on her 
it was not an instant thing. I answered lots of questions. So she describes now, she describes herself now as that bit in Chosen, where Mary says, I was one way, now I am the other. The thing that happened in between was Jesus. for that um, wonderful testimony. It just shows we can all do that, can't we? We can all be a friend. We can all be someone who welcomes somebody else in and lead others to Jesus. Mm -hmm.